Let's play. I'm being difficult. The uh, people here at Podcast One, yeah, the people here at Podcast One, uh, there's a there's a great organization here, which is one of the reasons why I came to this or these people to do my podcast. Uh, a real there's a real support for the podcast, whether it's in the studio time, engineers, producers, uh, people going out there getting the commercials, the advertisers. Or um, we're getting a social media aspect of it, spreading the word about the podcast, which is doing a great job on mine. But also, they uh, find talent for you to have on the show. And they keep, the girl keeps sending me, offering me people to interview. And I, I pretty much keep saying no. All the times I do say yes. I, it's impossible to schedule me to be in the studio when they're in the studio. And I don't like to do the phone thing. I don't know. Some people do. I'm, I, I just, uh, I've done phoners. It's just something for, for a, a long interview. For like a quick five minutes is one thing. But to talk to somebody on the phone for like an hour, it just, I, I don't know. I just don't, I just feel it's too cold and it's not intimate enough. Um, but. She keeps offering me people, and for the most part, I say no. They're mostly rockers, and they have. And I, I'm, certainly, I'm not anti-rock, but they tend to be what you'd expect from me. They tend to be who you'd expect me to interview. And and a, I don't want to do the expected. When I did morning radio. Um, it wasn't about rock. It was about pop culture. It was about news. It was about current events. It was about, you know, silly conversation. It was morning radio as morning radio is, but I didn't want to limit it to limit it to just my music genre. And as far as this show goes, I love talking to rockers, but when they've got more to offer than talking about their new record, or their new tour, or you know, bloody bloody bloody, the same old thing. I, 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 that's not what Snyder comments is about. It's not what I want it to be about. And what I want is when it's somebody who's got more, like you know, having Frankie Benali on to discuss, you know, the documentary and life after rock and roll, and and and, and dealing with the ups and downs of a career. I want to have conversations that you, the audience, can relate to and connect with and see the parallels between what you're doing and what we do or they did. And again, I don't want it to just be about rockers. That's why I brought Marty Colner on the other day, because his career had such, such an arc 
and such dramatic changes. And the man took so many chances, uh, didn't take the easy way out. I thought these are important things to talk about, things I want to relate. I guess in a lot of ways, I, I, I feel like I'm spo- my job is to be a cheerleader for you guys. To, you know, to help you and guide you and tell you and encourage you. And not that I've done it all right. Not speaking from a position of like, I've done everything and perfectly. And no, as a matter of fact, warts and all, man, I, you know, to show you the realities of life, warts and all. And I certainly have got a lot of warts. That's my nose. Um, so, you know, I, and so they keep offering me interviews and I keep saying no. Uh, because it's just, it's, you know, it's just SOS, same old shit. And, you know, everything is so genre specific these days that you, unless there's something to connect the listener with this person, you're just pitching a type of music that your audience may not be into. When I started doing morning radio, going back to that again, they originally wanted to have music. And I said, no, I don't want to have music. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I just want to have talk radio. They said, but why? I said, because the minute I play a song, I've defined my audience. The minute I play a song, if it's a rock song, if it's an alt-rock song, if it's a country song, if it's a pop song, whatever it is, I've now defined the audience and people start button pushing. If they're going to button push, well, you know, button push, well, you know what I mean, click on my show, it's going to be because of the content, not because, oh, I'm not into that music. And the same goes for the guests. I want to have a broad, when I was, like, back to morning radio, when I was doing morning radio, I had country listeners, I had urban listeners, I had, I had, uh, you know, I, I had uh, pop listeners, NPR listeners, because they were tuning in for the conversation, not for the song. And if I'm going to have music people on the show, if I'm going to have anybody on the show, it's got to relate to you, the listener, on a more personal level. You've got to connect. It's got to, it's got to speak to you. At least that, that's what I try to do. As a result, well, between my traveling and um, my uh, just the people that I have to choose from, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's me yakking 90% of the time. Rarely will you get an interview on here. But it's not that I don't want to. I just want them to matter. I want it to matter to you, to my listener. Like someone I want to talk to, uh, and actually is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Evan Seinfeld. Trying to schedule this with him. You're going, who's Evan Seinfeld? Some of you are going, Evan Seinfeld. All right, now, when I tell you the band he's from, you're going to get ready to button push. He's from a band called Biohazard, a 90s hardcore metal band. Okay, hold your horses. Why do I want Evan on? Not to talk about Biohazard. No, I want to talk to him about the career choices he's made and what he's done. To parlay, oops, sorry, I got to turn that off. Got got the, um, sorry, I got my, I don't even have my, my stupid email on. Why is it? Why is it doing it? Well, I guess I do have my email on. Oh well, uh, where was I now? Sorry, I want to have Evan on because Evan, and and actually because I spoke to him, 
Uh, back in you know in the '90s, after I had crashed and burned, I was running around grabbing every young musician I could by the collar, going, "It's a trick! It's a trick! It's not. It, we don't. It's not a finish line. We we say we're gonna make it like it's a finish line. It's not a finish line. It's a cliff, or maybe another steep climb, or maybe a plateau, or maybe a gentle slope down. Whatever it is, it's not what we thought. Our whole lives, every young man, every young woman who wants to be in rock says, I'm going to make it. That's the line. I'm going to make it. I don't think there's any other job that people make that statement. I'm going to make it. Like, like it's like it's it's some finite point that you reach, and I thought it was, you know, you you throw your hands in the air, you do a victory lap, spike the ball, whatever it is, you know, and live happily ever after. Well, man, I found out the truth of that. The point zero 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 one percenters are the Aussies, the Eric Clapton's, the Elton Johns. Those are the exceptions, the U twos, the rare exceptions. For most of us, it's, it's a, you, know, you have a few years in the spotlight, and then you're done. So I was grabbing all these young musicians and going, hey, parlay. And they go, parlay? What do you mean parlay? I mean like in Pirates of the Caribbean? No, parlay as in take what you've, you're have achieving here and figure out what else you can do with that energy. Because you may have a career that goes all the way, but odds are you won't, and you need to maximize what you've got and, and, and go for the next part. It's not, and that's another thing. Guys, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yikes. It's a marathon. I woke up one day, I was 30, 50 more years to live, and I'm out of money. And my career's over. What's up with that? No one tells you about that. Well, I tell about that. And Evan Seinfeld was one of those people I grabbed by the collar, and he listened because his biohazard was taken off at that time. They were hot as a pistol. They were going to look like they were going to be huge. And as a result, he went into acting. He was on Oz for a number of seasons. You might know him from there. He's very involved in pornography. Um, he went into, uh, married a porn star and went into porn production and developed a whole industry, a whole business. Uh, and so, I mean, you say, well, say, well, it's not, it's not the ch- business that you choose. It's that he chose something and made it into something. And then he, he's gone on to do other things. He's been very successful. And Biohazard didn't have the career that he had hoped it would have. But because he listened to Uncle D, he's done really well for himself. And he thanks me for it. And, and, and not that I want to bring him on here to say, thank you, D. No, I want to bring him on to, to share with you like what he did and how he adapted and, and the, how the, taking, you know, going through those doors. You know, Tony Robbins says everybody has opportunities, just few people go through the doorway. It's true. Every day we have opportunities. We don't acknowledge them most of the time. So that's the kind of people I want on the show. And I will have Evan Seinfeld on the show in the future. Uh, but... You know, uh, but I'm getting ready. I'm out of. I'm leaving um, the country for a couple of weeks, going away with the family. Then I head up to Toronto, hoping in Canada I can get some people on the show. That uh, while I'm there doing the Rock and Roll Christmas Tale for three months, uh, some Canadian uh, stars 
you know, uh, that have interesting things to share and interesting things to say. But again, it's about speaking on a broader scale to you, the audience. Now, this week's show, I wanted to do a Q&A show, uh, you know, where I've, I've done it a couple times before. I asked people on Twitter, submit questions for me to answer. And, you know, I, I did it and, you know, and the, the Twitterverse lit up and I got a whole pile of questions. And I was going through them and one question popped up. Um, it says, have you always been confident? How can I be as confident as you? And at first my mind said, oh, yeah, it's a, you know, uh, this comes from Rachel, a 16-year-old girl in Brazil who, when I look at her Twitter page, she's an old soul. She's 16, and she is so into the old-school music. It's crazy, her commitment to old-school rock and her mastery of the English language. Very impressive. I really can't. There's not more information about her there. Uh, very impressed with her. But meanwhile, back at the question. And at first, I'm ready to give some you know, semi-flippant answer. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I always was, blah, 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 and give a short answer. But then I thought about it. I said, this is an important question because the answer is not simple. And the answer, the second part of her question was, how can I be as confident as you? And I want to share honesty of my, of my journey, and maybe you'll get something out of it and share something. Because I was not always confident. I made myself confident. And it is something that could be self-created. It's something I, in many ways needs to be self-created. And I, will, I want to talk to you about that. And maybe I'll get to some of the other questions as well. I don't know how long that will go, but there's something to say here. All right, welcome back to Snyder Comments. Like I said, I, I wanted to do a Q&A this week. And a young follower, listener, uh, however you want to call her name, Rachel from Brazil, asked me a question that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And the question was, have you always been confident? Part two, how can I be as confident as you? And I said, this is a subject that is worth exploring. And it's not, again, it's not to talk about myself or to hear myself talk, okay? I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm trying to share information that I think can be helpful and I think should be important to you, especially if the issues I speak about, which I think apply as a rule to the broader audience, the, 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 the majority, not the minority. There are people out there who, you know, from a young age are bristling with self-confidence. 
it comes from I, I you know I, you know I look I could be trivializing it by saying it comes from the hand you're dealt at birth are you attractive are you affluent are you smart are you athletic do you have these innate talents those things tend to instill great confidence in people and as they grow up through life go through life and grow up from the time they're little they are fussed over for their gifts for their talents Oh, he's so handsome. Oh, she's so athletic. Oh, she's so smart. Oh, she, you know, they, they, you know, they hear it all the time. The majority of us fall in the middle somewhere. We aren't the best looking, the smartest, the most athletic, the most creative, the most gifted. We aren't. We can develop certain talents and certain abilities. And many of the greats have done just that. Many of the greats, and I think most of the greats, uh, you know, I, maybe most might be an exaggeration, but, uh, but definitely many of the greats have wanted to achieve something and refused to accept the hand they were dealt and worked very hard to get there. I mean, for some reason, just popped, James Earl Jones just popped in my head. You know, Darth Vader's voice, this is CNN. The dude was a stutterer. A stutterer. Can you imagine one of the greatest voices of our time one of the most successful voiceover people of our time, a great actor, public speaker, started out in life as a stutterer. You could not say he was handed that voice, handed that talent, handed that ability. If when he was a child, he stammered, one day I'll be, if he stammered that one day he was going to be the greatest voice, one of the great voices of our, of all time, how hard would the kids in school have laughed at him? But he did. The point being, many of us are not dealt the hand that gives us what we want. We have to create that hand. Many, many of the greats. And so you've got a certain percentage of people, and it's the smallest percentage, who are given these gifts genetically. And they grow up very confident. And they go through life with great confidence. The confidence that comes from being given the gifts. The rest of us struggle. The rest of us suffer. The rest of us deal and try and get by. And I was one of them. 
As a kid, all I wanted to do was fit in. All I wanted to do was find a group, a clique that would accept me in their midst. And I tried everything. I tried every group. I tried and and I slightly fit in with everybody, which I believe is what ultimately has made me um, again, I don't like to talk to myself in the broad, I'm, I'm certainly not the most successful person or the most popular person or whatever, but certainly I have a following. Certainly I've had, I've had a certain amount of success and I believe that has come from the fact that my appeal has been broader than, than many because I'm a little bit of everything, but not enough of anyone. Um, I tried to fit in with the athletes, the jocks, because I am athletic. I could not fit in with them. Why? I didn't think life, I didn't think the world was shaped like a football, and it seemed pretty much to be a prerequisite that this was the world. Sports is our life. Nothing matters more. And I just couldn't endorse that. Tried to fit in with the intellectuals. I'm an honor roll student, a B student, no advanced classes. Um, and, you know, so that's not going to cut it with the intellectuals. Try to fit in with the freaks. Freaks, I don't know what we, that's, that's what we, these are the names we had. Freaks were hippies, long hairs, artists, musicians. And I was always a, a, a rocker. I was always a musician. We had that. Uh, you know, when I when I was able, when my father got off my dick and let me grow my hair and start looking the way I wanted to look, I dressed, you know, my hair was crazy and I dressed freakishly, but um, I didn't get high. And it seemed to be a prerequisite that everybody in the freak group, the art, music, hippie, whatever you want to call it, group, were stoners. And I was the weird, you know, these high on life. I was, it was the running joke. These high on life. So uh, I was an outsider there. Then I tried to fit in what we called the dirt bags, hoods, greasers, troublemakers. They like cars. They like motorcycles. Uh, things that I liked. And, um, and, you know, and I kind of fit in there. But... Uh, they, the troublemakers, as a rule, made trouble, uh, and they did it as a, a pastime. You know, the, the knocking the books out of kids, uh, you know, in the hallway, out of their hands in the hallway, picking on people for the sake of picking on people, and I just couldn't get couldn't get into that. That didn't work for me. I was too fair. I was too reasonable. I said, "What are we doing? Why are we picking on these kids?" Not doing anything to us. The the dirtbags didn't want to hear a rational thought, and my B's and C's were like intimidating to the dirtbags. They'd sit around when the report cards come out and they go, "Dude, two D's, three F, two D's, two F's," and the other guy go, "Yeah, three F's and an absentee, uh, I, I, a no grade because I was in class enough." Hey D, what'd you get? Um, three B's and C. What? 
Three three B's and a C. Oh, get a load of the big brain on D. I mean, on Snyder. I'm like three B's and a C, and I'm like an outcast with a with a dirt bags for being a genius. So by the time I got to high school, with the exception of a few, you know, I had a few great, and I was a, I was a nerd, comic book guy, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I was in the choir. So I was too. I was geeky on another level. I was just a, a just a, a a mess, and I had a few geeky friends, um, but other than that, no clique to speak of. And if you don't have a clique in high school, you become uh, what they call uh, you know the Indian the, in India they have the caste system. That's the, the the status system, class system. It's called the caste system, and um, you know, and the most the lowest caste is the untouchables. They don't even have a class. They're the untouchables. I was an untouchable. In you know, in, in a high school with a commons area, the different cliques sat in different areas around the commons. You know, each desi- area was designated for a certain group. I don't know when that started, but that's the way it was from the day I got in there. I had nowhere to go. I would just pass through the commons because there was no corner or click or group that I was welcome in. And I realized at about 16 years old that I was becoming invisible. I was fading. I was just, you know, the the classic wallflower. I was just disappearing. I had no, I had no persona. I had no and I, 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 I was unable to define myself by being a member of a clique. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. A, that I, was un, that I wasn't accepted by any clique, because if I had, I just would become a faceless member of one of those cliques, not the leader by far, just one of them, and I would have just fallen into line. This is who I am, defined by the clique I, I, I was in. And ultimately, glory days guy. Glory days, guys. That's people who look back on high school, like it's, or college. It's like the greatest thing that ever happened. They're always looking back. Oh, those were the. This is a phrase. Those, this is a word you'll never hear out of my mouth ever. Those were the good old days. Lose that phrase, people. It is an anchor around your neck. As long as you're looking back, you are not moving forward. As long as you're looking back with, I'm not saying don't look back and say, hey, that, wasn't, that was great. That's, that's fine. But pining, pining for the old days, kiss of death. So at 16, I have this epiphany, another epiphany. I did. I've had many epiphanies. That I was invisible. I was disappearing. I was a non-entity. And I said, I have got a choice here. I can literally just become one of those nameless, faceless, lonely people. Or I can say, fuck this and be something. Be somebody. That sounds vague. But be me. Undefined by a particular clique or group. And given the choice, 
of being a one man click <laughs> or or being uh it just being non existent, I went one man click. And I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a sports playing, non drinking, non drugging, relatively smart, motorcycle riding, hot rod loving rocker. There was only one of them in the school. His name was D. Snyder. Actually, technically, my name was Daniel Snyder. Danny, good God. Before I started, changed it, which is one of the reasons I changed it. Fresh start kind of thing, you know? Uh, but, and I just stopped caring what other people think, thought. And now here's the key to the confidence thing. Started believing my shit didn't stink. Now, did, you know, the phrase, my sh- your shit doesn't stink, you know, that, that I was great. I had nothing to back that up. I didn't have parents who were blowing smoke on my ass. I didn't have a clique or friends, a girlfriend. Had a couple of buddies, but they were sort of, you know, fading away. They weren't, you know, they weren't particularly outgoing. But there's a thing called a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you create an image for yourself, if you tell yourself, if you say something, if you do something enough, it becomes reality. And I decided at 16, I was the coolest fucking thing in the world. Now, I don't know if I actually totally believed it, but I acted like it. I walked like it. I dressed how I wanted to dress, and it was kind of freaky. I remember wearing, I wore a bowler. I used to wear a bowler in high school. Trust me, this was the 70s. No one was wearing a bowler, except Malcolm McDowell, in, uh, which wasn't where I got the idea. But when I saw Malcolm McDowell in a Clockwork Orange wearing the bowler, I was like, yes, yes, looks cool as shit, and I know it's cool as shit. So so the point is, I just started to believe in myself, and I am cool. I am together. I am important. I am great looking. I am this mantra I created for myself. Nobody else was saying it, but I was saying it to myself. And I kept saying it to myself. Until not only did I believe it, but oddly, others started to believe it. Confidence, self-confidence, and, and, and self-believing in yourself. And there's it, definitely a, a degree of narcissism in here, for sure. But you know what? What choice did I have? If nobody else is telling you how great you are, you got to look in the mirror and tell yourself. So, you know, narcissism is a problem and too much narcissism, which I definitely got to that point because what happened is, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But it was important to become narcissistic because you had to be your own cheerleader. Nobody else was cheering you on. 
So you had to believe in yourself. You had to cheer yourself on. You had to look yourself in the mirror and go, damn, I'm happening. Damn, I'm kicking ass. Damn, I'm cool. But oddly, here's a self-fulfilling prophecy. People sensed this confidence. And they started buying into it. Suddenly, people, I found people wanting to associate with me. They never gave me the time of day. But the, but the energy I was giving off, and this goes, you know, when I said told you in another uh, piece, how I always say, how you doing? Excellent. How you doing? Awesome. Always say that. Excellent. That was part of this self picking myself up, convincing myself that, yeah, my life is great. Yeah, I am great. Yeah, things are going to be great. If I keep telling myself that, it will happen. And guess what? It does. It will. It did. So people were gravitating to me now. Actually started dating. I had a girlfriend. I was exuding self-confidence, self-created, by the, by the way. Nobody else had, there was really no, there was no basis in it, truly. I mean, one thing I did have, I always had a good voice. I, I, I was a singer from, and I always sang uh, in you know, the choirs and stuff like that. It was one place I always had a home I could sing. And in rock bands, I could always get a job because D can sing. So, I mean, you know, it definitely, if you've got one ability, no matter how small or how large, you know, if you're lucky enough to have one thing, and I believe that everybody does, you know, you need to focus and develop that and use that as your, as your tent pole. They call it a tent post, you know, sort of holds up the, the center tent post, holds up the tent. You know, that one ability, that one talent, that one thing that you've got, you can build off of that and create a much broader person and a much you know and a much more a much more talented person and a much you know a more you know what I'm saying all right so people started to were drawn to me and that started to feed build my confidence in myself and as i continued on through high school and the thing, funny thing was though now the clicks were actually drawn to me. I didn't want to be a part of the clique anymore. I didn't need them. I needed them for something I didn't have. Now that I had developed was developing self-confidence and belief in myself, I didn't need some the approval of some group of losers. And yeah, I did kind of work that too. Kind of, you know looking down at the people who wouldn't accept me. They were looking down at me. So I kind of flipped that to feed myself and looking and say, well, what do they have that I, that I need, really? What is, what, what is so cool about them? And it helped me feel stronger about myself if I demystified and deconstructed their whole bravado and persona and you know and the click image that was going on and took it apart with and said it's a pile of bullshit i don't need them i've got it going on and now all of a sudden 
the clicks are, you know, welcoming me. Hey, that's cool. I'm not saying to give a middle finger, but yeah, I don't need you. I just burped. Sorry. I don't need you. Simple enough. So now I'm going out of high school. I go into college for a brief year. Um, uh, I'm pursuing my dreams in music with my bands. And that confidence is now translating into my live performances, how I, you know, how I, the, the chances I'm taking as a performer, you know, the dressing up, the makeup, the costumes takes a lot of balls, but more than anything is belief in yourself and confidence, self-confidence. And now it's, it's, it's a snowball effect here. What started with literally me saying, I am the shit with no basis. No, I am cool with no real basis to back, nothing to back it up has now turned into reality. As I become stronger and better as a performer, I am getting in better and better bands. I am, the crowd is reacting. It is feeding the confidence that I have is growing is becoming greater and greater because I'm getting that positive feedback and that positive reinforcement that I never got a day in my life. A day in my life. I was not someone who someone ever said, hey, you're going to be great. No. My dad was screaming for me to take the civil service test. That line, what do you want to do? Nothing wrong with civil service test, by the way. Civil service is a great, great thing. My sister, my dad, a lot of people I know, it's great. Benefits or whatever, civil service is great. But it's not for everybody. And the point being that I wanted more, and my dad was like, eh, you know, accept who you are. This is a good, good, you know, solid, whatever, middle ground, whatever you want to call it. Just accept it. And I would not. I would not. So I did not get ever get that you could be a star, son. Because I wanted to be a rock star from 1964, so I was nine years old. Nine years old, if you've read my book or, or some of the other things, I decided I want to be a rock star. Again, uh, no real reason to believe that I could be or would be. I didn't actually sing in the choir yet. I didn't really even sing. I didn't play an instrument. You know, just a kid saying, I'm going to be a rock star, you know. And, you know, and all I got from everybody around me was like, who are you kidding? Based on what? What do you do? What have you done? You know, obviously I was nine years old. I had yet to do things, but I would, and I'd continue on. But now... The point here is that the further I went with my career and the more success I had, uh, a lot of it regionally, but still that getting on stage night after night and people turning out in droves. Now I'm in Twisted Sister. I'm 20 years old, turned 21, you know. And uh, and you know the crowds are building every night. The reinforce this has been going on slowly, slowly, but but it just I'm becoming more and more convinced that not only was I right to believe in myself, 
But I am right to believe that I am going to do it. I am going to make it. And then you add in, you know, I meet Suzette. So now I've got the girl. I've got, I mean, Twisted Sister. I've got the band. And it took a long time to achieve, ultimately achieve those dreams that you hear about. You know, Twisted was together, as I've told you. Six and a half years I was in the band before we had a, a deal, indie deal. Eight and a half years before we broke. Okay? But still. And now imagine, you know, all this, again, this self-fulfilling prophecy that I am cool, I am great, I will be somebody. Statements I made, again, I keep reemphasizing because I want to remind you, and this isn't just, I'm not just point talking to Rachel here, the 16-year-old in Brazil. I'm talking to the 50-year-old and 60-year-old. I'm talking to anybody here. You can make this change at any time. It's yours for the taking. It's just energy, man. It's just energy. But you got to commit. You got to commit to this change. Commit to the belief. Commit to believing in yourself. Commit to the confidence. Self-confidence. Commit. That is key. People will look at you. They will laugh at first. They will go, what the hell is he or she doing? Who the hell they th- he or she think they are? Eventually, if you believe it and you sell it, they will buy what you're selling, baby. They will buy into it. And they will follow you like the Pied Piper. Why? Because you must know something they don't. I don't know. All of a sudden, Bob Bob's like seems like a different guy. Bob's, wow, he's so confident. I don't know. What's he doing now? What's he, what's he up to? What's he up to? You're like the cat who ate the bird. What is he up to? Why, what's he smiling about? What's he smiling about? He's getting out. <laughs> Bob's getting out of this shit. Anyway, so the question was, was I always this confident? No. How can you be as confident as me? I just told you. And it builds on itself. And even when I got taken out at the knees in the 90s, when I lost everything, I'll admit I was shaken. I was shaken. That was a blow. But with the help of, you know, support of, of friends, my wife, Suzette, people who believed in me, if, if, my, if that confidence was shaken, I had convinced enough people by this point that there was a reason to believe that they were propping me back up, and I got back up. Famous saying, not many, how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up and keep moving forward. So it, the confidence just continued to build. Now, I'm the most dangerous guy in the room. Uh, the most dangerous guy in the room is a guy who doesn't give a shit. The guy who's got nothing to lose. And I, I, I am the most dangerous guy in the room because I don't care anymore. By that I mean I, I don't care about success. I don't care about people's opinion. I don't care uh, I, I, because I'm already successful. I'm, I'm 
set for life. I'm in mental retirement mode, even though I'm moving forward with creative projects and stuff like that, but they're all purely for the passion now. They're not about, uh, I've got to make money to feed my family. That's done. I've got to make money to put aside. I'm done. I'm good. I'm set. So now, watch the fuck out. Because I got nothing to lose. Nothing. And I'm still a tough, badass, cool motherfucker. It's a real problem, as Paul Stanley recently found out. But let's not go back there again. All right. I want to get to some of those questions, some of those other questions you asked. This was originally supposed to be a Q&A show, so let's get to some of those. Everyone, please rise. Court is in session. Hi, it's Judge Janine Pirro, and I want to invite you all to check out my brand new podcast, Due Process with Judge Janine. I've got the background and experience to bring you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Join me and my co-host, Terry Trespicio, as we cover the hottest legal stories and breaking news. And remember, you do have the right to an attorney, and I'm giving you your due process. So be sure to download Due Process with me, Judge Janine Pirro, every Monday at PodcastOne.com. That's PodcastOne.com. All right, welcome back to Snyder Comments. Uh, D. Snyder here, and thank you, Rachel, for that incredible question uh, that led to a whole conversation. And I hope I answered your question, but I hope I, I shared some information with people because, you know, I don't think the world wants everybody to know that we could all be somebody. I don't think everybody, they, people want people to know that everybody has worth. And everybody is cool, and everybody can achieve, and everybody has got some good ideas and some talent. I don't think the, the, the masses really want that. They want a few leaders and a whole bunch of followers. I say, what the fuck's wrong with not having, I'm cursing a lot, but what's wrong with having a world full of leaders? I don't know. All right, so uh, but there were a bunch of other questions, and I want to try and hit some of those. Let me see. Uh, Brad Kalmanson, uh, apart from the Twisted Classic lineup, who would you pick to have one all-star jam? You know, I can't really – I've played with quite a few people. Uh, I've gotten to sing with Alice Cooper. I've gotten to, to uh, uh, sing with uh, Slash who's amazing in the Camp Freddy thing. I've gotten to, you know, I've gotten to perform with a bunch of people. Back in the day, I used to always say I would love this lineup. This is an 80s lineup, okay? This was me on vocals, Angus Young on guitar, Juan Cruchier from Rat on bass, and Scott Rockenfeld from Queensryche on drums. Why? The four of us were the four most animated performers I had ever seen. Watching them perform on stage, they were all over the place, each of them in their own way. And I said, it would, how cool would it be to have four energy, Energizer bunnies up there at one time? Of course, I said, I'd probably accidentally squash Angus, step on him because he's 4'11". Uh, and, um, you know, and we'd probably be a big car crash up there because we all moved around so much. You can't, well, I guess you, know, you talked about, 
Why can't everybody be a leader? And, you know, everybody can't be running around all the time. It, it, it could get into a real, uh, it, it could turn into a car wreck. But that was back in the day. I haven't really thought about contemporary, you know, uh, today, but that's what the answer comes to mind. Let's go to Della, let's see what this is, Della Larson. Hi, D. What, uh, what would be your favorite music era? Um, that's a tough one, Della. Uh, you know, certainly I'm a fan of 80s, you know, metal. Um, 70s is what I grew up on. You know, 60s gave me the inspiration, those great 60s bands. Um, you know, so, uh, and then there's the 50s, which I loved in a retro sense, the doo-wop and, and the R&B, the Stax, Motown. I love that stuff. And I, I love the old blues as well. So it's really tough to say, but I have to say that it would definitely be all the eras since rock and roll was born, starting with the blues, okay, where that 4-4 beat came into being, that drive, the boom, 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 that pulse, the heartbeat. You know, before that, the Benny Goodmans, the jazz era, classical. I sang classical music with choirs for years. I enjoyed singing it, but listening to it, yeah, uh, ho-hum. All right, so um, so there's the answer for that. John Him says, uh, "What's your favorite band you liked as a teen?" Zep. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, definitely one of them. Here's here's the order. Okay, Beatles. And I'm not saying I didn't like any of the other bands of the '60s, but the Beatles were the band that lit the fire in me. Okay, that led to Paul Revere and the Raiders. Paul Rea and the Raiders were a pop rock band like the Monkees. Matter of fact, they were sort of in direct competition with the Monkees because they performed every day on a show called Where the Action Is. And you can see them every day on this TV show while the Monkees were actually a, a, a t- television actors formed as a band. But they were, but, but Paul Rea and the Raiders had a little edge to them. Their songs like Hungry and Kicks, there was a little more danger in their music. As opposed to, you know, I'm a believer from the Monkees and great songs from the Monkees, but, but Paul Revere and the Raiders. Paul Revere and the Raiders, actually, what led, and there's a lot of people out there, a lot of musicians, older musicians, you know, I'm old, who um, Paul Revere and the Raiders were that stepping stone to harder stuff. So I started, you know, getting, I liked the harder bands. They had Woodstock. I hated, I liked half of Woodstock. The Rock, I liked Mountain. I liked The Who. You know, I like the stuff that 10 years after, I like the bands that were going for it. You know, I could care less about Country Joe and the Fish and Richie Havens and Crosby, Sills, and Nash. Ugh, kill me now. Yeah, I mean, I was, a, I, I was a contributor to the destruction of the Woodstock Nation. I was the first headbanger. So now, you know, you, you get into Cream, and, you know, you get into this band, Blue Cheer came along, Grand Funk Railroad, okay? And I'm seeing, what is this? It wasn't called heavy metal. It was called hard rock. But I love that. And then two bands came along, Game Changers, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, right around the same time. Zeppelin had a lot more credibility than Black Sabbath, but these two bands were defining heavy metal. So my teen years, you know, were 
I post her over my bed of Robert Plant, bowing down before Robert. And then it goes to where? Then it goes to where? It gets to Deep Purple, and it gets to Alice Cooper. And I got into the glam bands and the glitter bands. And I was into Kiss, and I was into you know Slade. Slade, a lot of the English glitter bands, T-Rex, David Bowie. Without these bands, I wouldn't be a lot more British, actually, than American. Um, but I wouldn't be where I, where I am or where I got or wouldn't become the musician or the performer or any of the th- what I am, for better or for worse. All right? So that's the answer to that. Thanks for the question, John Him. Uh, let's go to Jill Gerst- Gerstenberger. Jill Gerstenberger. And by the way, these are some, these people, these asking these questions, you you have Twitter followers and, you know, I've got whatever, 130-something thousand, but then there's your active followers. And a lot of these people, I see their names pop up all the time. Rachel's one of them, I mean, and Jill here. Uh, Have you ever wrecked on your motorcycle? What a question to ask. What a, good, don't even put that out there. No, thank God. Motorcycle riding is is in its very at its very core a very dangerous thing, you know. And you constantly hear about the the percentage of uh, the the real scary thing is is that the 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 insurance company statistics. It's something like ninety percent of motorcycle riders or eighty percent of motorcycle riders have accidents. Ninety percent of the accidents are not the fault of the motorcycle rider. We're like targets out there. It's you, you know, defensive riding is is not like an option. It is it is it is absolutely mandatory, especially if you're in New York or you're you know where I learned to ride and where I you know grew up riding. And I didn't grow up riding. I'm a I'm a born again biker. Started late in life actually, um, but still you know even California a lot of open spaces to ride. But damn, you're getting to the traffic. It's every man, for, man and woman for themselves out there. So thankfully, I have never had an accident on my motorcycle. And Jill, uh, with your continued positive prayers and stop putting these things out there, I have no intention of having one. Becky, 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 another regular. Do you miss Long Island? All right, I just moved a year ago. I left the East Coast and I moved out West. Vegas is home. Uh, second home is uh, visiting my kids in California. So we're definitely left side, warmer climates. You know, I, I'm not a person who ever looks back. I talked about this earlier in the thing. If you spend your time looking back, you're not moving forward. Glory days. Not, no glory days. Long Island was great. I grew up there. I raised my family there. I love it. I will always love it. But when I make a commitment to a change, two things here. One, people talk about doing things. Not enough people actually go follow through with it. So many people talk about, one day I'm going to move. One day I'm going to go blank. They talk, they talk, they talk, they talk. It is a rare exception that commits. My uncle, Bruce, he told his family, my father, his brother, from the minute he started with the police force, another civil service worker, he worked for the police force, he started at 22. He said, I'm working for 20 years because the police force, you can do that. You can retire with a pension at 20 years. And um, he lives in Queens, New York. He says, I'm retiring at 42 and I'm moving to Virginia, to the country. I'm selling the house. I'm moving to Virginia. He said this 
every day of his life. Told everybody, he's counting down. 20 years, announced, I'm retiring, put the house on the market and sold it. And know my father said, what are you doing? I'm moving. Seriously? Seriously, he's been saying it for 20 years, Dad. I thought he was kidding. That's because nobody follows through. Nobody commits. So when my wife and I said we are going to move out west, we don't talk shit. That's another lesson, people. Don't be a shit talker. All right? Don't just talk about it. Do it. And making that move, selling the home, you raise your family in, leaving family and friends behind, changing. It was huge. It was a Herculean task. Um, I am so proud of the fact that we did it. I am so enjoying watching people shoveling snow on the news and not shoveling snow. I'm so loving having my motorcycles and my, my cars as daily drivers now as opposed to, you know, the, uh, being up on racks and in the garage for at least six months a year, if not more, because of the weather. Uh, so I love Long Island, but ain't going back. Uh, okay, let's go to Chris Ranger. Okay, Chris, another follower, young follower is great. D, what is your opinion on today's music? Um, I am not the uh, negative on today's music. I think, you know, people say, you hear people say, well, rock and roll is dead. Yeah, thanks, Gene. Uh, you know, there's no good music anymore. We'll never have any. No, 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 no. We won't have the rock stars we once had. We won't have the public awareness of music. There is incredible music out there. I've seen young bands. And you know what? They don't think they're going to get rich playing music anymore. They don't go into it like I did to be rich and famous. They go into it because they love it. They got to do it. They got to play it. There's incredible talent. There's incredible bands. Don't listen to the old people. That's what they are, old people who just curmudgeons or because it's not the way it once was. It's dead. No, it ain't dead. There's exciting new music on all level. There are new Bob Dylans and new Beatles and new, uh, and new Led Zeppelins out there. They're not getting the attention that these bands get, and they probably never will. But the talent is still there. All right, that's the last question I can answer for this week. Uh, I, you know, um, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I look forward. Don't forget at Snyder Comments is the Twitter handle. Uh, Snyder Comments at Gmail dot com. That's the uh, that's the web. That's the uh, email. And please uh, support me through supporting my sponsors. Been doing the show now for a few months. It's going well, but it can't continue on if the show doesn't start generating revenues so if you're gonna go to you know amazon anyway use my banner if you're gonna you know if you're gonna do some of these things you're gonna just just you know check out the stuff that i'm promoting support the people who are supporting me and help me keep this show going if you like it if you don't like it don't do anything and the show will wither and die before too long but i'm cool because i got nothing to lose i'm set Sorry. I worked really hard to get to get here. I worked really hard. I killed myself to get here. I'm just glad I'm still alive to enjoy it. See you next time on Snyder Comments. <laughs>